Hey, uh, David, uh, thank you for coming in today and, you know, speaking to my audience. I mean, you got a, a really uh, terrific background. I mean, you've done a lot, especially in AI and data science. You got a, you know, you've got such a, a broad, a breadth of experience that you're bringing to the world. So thank you for coming in and sharing your insights oh, with our audience. Thank you very much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. So my audience, uh, uh, I mean, uh, when I track it, uh, number one is typically CEOs and founders, co-founders, and then I get engineers and professors and board directors, investors, usually kind of in that order. It appears in all of these tech channels, and then there's one channel that's much more broad. Mm -hmm. But the one interview appears in, in multiple uh, venues. And so the audience is always uh, really care, uh, sort of curious. You know, you, you you were this amazing individual. You've done so much. You're making so many global contributions. And they're always curious about, you know, what are those inflection points in your life that made this wonderful person you are today? And it could be <laughs> when you were really young or um, maybe when you're in school. It could have been in the family, as a, a career highlights, et cetera. So what were they? <laughs> Well, well, again, first and foremost, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here, and thank you very much. I think uh, uh, far too uh, kind in, in your words. Well, if I can look backwards, and, and there have been a few, quite frankly. Um, the starting point is really just a phenomenal degree of curiosity uh, to basically understand what's going on around us. I mean, if you think about it and you look at the origin of the field that I'm in in terms of AI... Today, we very much look at it as a technological tech component. Having said that, it was about us, interestingly enough. It's about humans. It's about how do we learn? How, how, how is it that an infant who supposedly still does not understand the depth of the context uh, and intrinsicity of the world is able to make these astounding distinguishings between objects, people, concept, constructs. How, how does that happen? Um, and it really kind of started from a neuroscience point of view. So, so actually, that's the very starting point of simply looking around and going, wow, how do we do this? And that interestingly kind of put me on this path that ended up and resulted in the world of AI. And, and I always like to share, perhaps in slight if, if my mother ever listens in, it actually all started from detention, where I got sent to detention, and as one usually does in the high school to the library, and I genuinely stumbled on a book called Prologue. And for perhaps, I mean, slightly uh, more mature audience remember Prologue language for the younger ones. This is a good old uh, programming-based uh, language, so it's logic-oriented. And that combination of curiosity and now this ability to program logic that, that was the key one, effectively. That was absolutely the key one. And then further downstream, and I would say very much what drives me today, and I, I kind of use, however corny it may sound, the tagline of making AI real is, it really holds an astounding possibility to better our lives. Yes, there are risks, but fundamentally in terms of bettering our lives. And even if in the slightest, I... I I want to show, I want to demonstrate the possibilities, the actuality, not just the hypotheticals, but the actuality. So um, I'm hearing, a, a, I'm sort of an innate curiosity and and you can, you're reflecting on all the benefits of data science and AI and so on. 
but this aspect that when you were in school, you detention <laughs> and, and that required you to you know uh, you'd be sort of sequestered in a library or something you had access to books and it and you're reading these books on logic and and that got you into like you ended up with a phd in computer science <laughs> and, and uh you know and and uh doing artificial intelligence so it's 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 quite remarkable so you you end up then in school, uh, really focusing in this area, really uh, uh, catalyzed by the detention, and and then what was your like your first application of of work Ooh. of you know when you when you uh, finished your schooling? Well, if 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 I may actually just before because my schooling was a while because you know after my PhD I did a postdoc so can, one can argue that I, I I still stayed a student <laughs> for as long as I could. But as part, again, of that combination of two things, so, so today what we look at in terms of, you know, LLMs, Gen AI, in terms of interaction, music, and all that, I actually did that to a certain extent, you know, back in the early 2000s. And again, it was the underlying question of, you know, music is effectively patterns. Could I listen, or in this case would be a machine, listen into the performance and say, oh, this is the person performing? Um, um, one of the works that I did was uh, to explore and understand, actually, from a psychological neurocognitive point of view. So I was working with uh, psychiatric hospitals. And there the idea was is to really understand how we tick. And again, in the end of the day, if you think about EEG, fMRI, all these type of technologies that are leveraged to kind of look inside us, it's all patterns and how you can combine the two. So just wanted to share this very briefly. So music, brains. So I was part of a project called Le Strum, and it was learning the structure of music. And effectively, we had people uh, in these fMRI and EEG machines listening to music. And we were effectively able to learn the relationship between musical patterns and brain patterns, such that you could recreate music simply by thought. Now, you're like, hey, that sounds a bit like a bit sci-fi, or potentially could have been sounds like a bit sci-fi. But again, it, it it going back to my point about making even a smallest of difference. Imagine people who may not have, um, um, you know, hands or the ability to 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 perform or whatever situations, or from a from a calming and soothing perspective. It was really about to create this new possibility of interaction and engagement. So that's back then. And then, if I fast forward all the way to after the kind of academic world, the the one project that really stands out in in my kind of recollection and i don't know if it hopefully it'll be of interest but it actually had to do with um uh um atm machines um and i'm, I'm kind of smiling because i ended up dreaming about atm machines and the problem is was is you know these things surprise surprise they run out of money because people go and withdraw and it's a problem it's a very interesting problem because financial institutions on the one hand want to make sure that you as a customer have you know a, a good service and when you go to these be it a person or a machine, you get the service that you expect. And you don't have to like, oh, no money. I have to walk walls down to another one. But the other hand, it costs them a hefty amount of money to actually do that. So long and short, applying these kind of capabilities of understanding patterns, behavior, predicting, and so forth, we were able to forecast the, the, the drawdowns of money across essentially a jurisdiction and then optimize. And, and the reason why this really stands in the back of my mind, even though it may sound a bit relatively straightforward, is the impact it had was astronomical. 
the payback of the entire project happened within six months. That's number one. Number two, from a network of just over a thousand plus machines that used to have a triple digit cash out every month, went to a single digit. So literally, it's just from, you know, I think it was about just under 300 cash outs a month to five. So it was really kind of a win-win from a consumer perspective, from an operator point of view, and of course, from an efficiency perspective. So one, a lot more human-centric, one really more operational, but demonstrative of some of those aspects of what can be achieved. So before we continue, let, let's go back then and talk about this idea of, of uh, looking at brain waves or what's happening in brains. Uh, I mean, there's a difference between EEGs and, and um, fMRIs, right? Because the yeah. fMRIs are really sort of measuring circulation in essence. And, and then you can see sort of blood flow and that determines the activity in your brain. And, and you can then map what's happening in the brain to um, music and 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 you're saying that you could generate or you could sell. yes that yes yes really so 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 okay you're you're you see you're getting me excited now so the reason why we looked at both fMRI it's exactly to your point it essentially captures location so think of it from a spatial point of view where in your brain are things being activated as you're thinking doing listening etc and so forth eg while at times is less has the resolution from a location perspective has high resolution with respect to temporal so it, it can read its own you, by combining the two you kind of have the ability of understanding okay what's happening on a more kind of temporal uh point perspective and then the other one from a more spatial perspective so imagine that you have brain generating patterns and then you are listening to effectively what is a pattern. That's what's music. Now, being able to correlate these two in a um, slightly more complex manner than the traditional uh, aspect point of view from correlation is you now get a relationship between this pattern, this segment of pattern, and this segment of pattern. And again, temporal, from a temporal excuse me, point of view. Now, if you do this in a sufficiently robust uh, manner, let's say over a different cohorts of individuals or for different types of resolutions of music, you essentially, and that was the, this was our underlying hypothesis, which kind of was able to be uh, shown. I can then go, Stephen, hum your, mentally hum, you know, your favorite song or whatnot. And I could literally have a little speaker, and we actually did this experiment, and it would recreate the music based on your mental and cognitive patterns effectively. Now, granted, it will not be obviously as pristine and accurate, but you know something, it is not white noise. That's that's kind of the, 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 the phenomenal aspect of it. And now it's kind of what's happening recently, and I think there have been a few recent papers, um, and, you know, various journals and whatnot, further investigating the space. I will not be surprised when we get to a point when you'll be able to put a headset like this and compose a new piece. Yeah, and, and then combine it with some kind of multimodal uh, large foundation model or large language model. And you can do music generation now, you can do art generation. So exactly. Um, so you could actually generate that using your brain um, functioning uh, <laughs> and create music. Uh, yeah and be quite novel uh, using these large foundation models, right? And then I'm thinking you can do cross-mapping interspecies. Uh, so you can see correlations between species. And, and, and for example, if, if a dolphin sees a particular object and you see a particular object, 
there's going to be a particular pattern and you can map correlate these patterns between what we think and what another another uh, species thinks and then you can get interspecies communication right so on that one and 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 I'm I'm really being tickled here is I was in a presentation once and you know you always get this question of oh what do you think would be like a great application of AI or usage or whatnot and I loved it I, I honestly can't remember who it was but full credit to them and they just looked and they thought and said you know what I'd love to know what my dog thinks <laughs> and this is really a mechanism to again give us a better understanding previously it was just us you know how how can we understand ourselves a bit better Then moving out and, you know, using it from a knowledge management perspective, LLMs, multimodal, but this can go beyond and having a capacity and understanding to really understand the things that go beyond us, whether it is a, uh, a, 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 an animal, a dog, a dolphin, or, you know, what, it, what's stopping us to go even further and think of a tree again, right. it's really, really providing. Um, I mean, when I, when I, when I explain the world of AI, um, and I, I always think of my grandmother, who at the time was, you know, 95 years old. I mean, she was born in 1910. Uh, talk about a different era. And I, I always say, AI is, put aside the terminologies, is it's, it's, an, it's a phenomenal mechanism to understand information. That's all it is. Now, if again, if I oversimplify this whole world of gen and LLMs, it is a conversational capability to manage knowledge. Now, the moment you think of it in deliberately this abstract way, you go, well, the possibilities are endless. Right. That's exactly it. The possibilities are absolutely endless. Yeah, and, and I, I guess you can correlate this to, you know, there's sort of a controversial field, or to some people it's controversial, it's quantum biology, right? That, a lot of the or um, biological effects have some kind of quantum property to it. And I guess the two poster children in this area are photosynthesis. Uh, there's something going on that produces more energy than any known way of doing it using, you know, silicon material or whatever. Right. And and so there there's there's some thinking that maybe there's some kind of quantum effect happening or birds migrating. And, and yes. they detect these yeah. sort of uh, pat, uh you know, gravitational sort of uh, or magnetic lines and, and it's so sensitive and how there's maybe some kind of quantum effect happening. And then it, it actually correlates to quantum spin. People are thinking maybe it correlates to quantum spin. So um, electron spin. So I, I think this is, you know, if you could map some of that at, at that resolution, you know, the possibilities would be sort of quite outstanding, right? And then you can get into plants more, I'm thinking, right? So hey, there you go. Again, it's each time it's, you know, uh level up kind of situation and have a betting understand now look it will always open up again i, I don't know if the, the word controversy is, is is the right word uh perhaps sensitivities but this is exactly where it becomes also a matter of a social dialogue and and again i i, I go back to in times when i work with various individuals who say oh, we want to go down this path of this initiative to you know uncover this predict that understand etc and so forth and i was telling them again Strip aside the methodologies, the techniques. In the end of the day, it's about creating transparency. Right. Doesn't mean that always everyone's ready for it for a variety of reasons. So to to reinforce your point, so it, it, at times something that's been controversial previously is not today. Something that's 
not controversial today, maybe controversial tomorrow. So it's really understanding from a societal perspective, are we ready for it? Do we want it? And, you know, sometimes it's, it's good not to know. And then going to your second example, you know, ATM machines and cash, uh, cash withdrawals, and then really seeing patterns there. And then, then that patterns providing, ultimately, you can predict, as you said, cash out. Yeah. So yeah. it's a better experience um, from the uh, consumer standpoint, it's, and it's better management and optimization from the banking standpoint. So it's a win-win. Or as a, a good friend of mine says, it's an omni-win, right? I, I, in fact, I, I like that. <laughs> Yeah, Mark uh, Sadovnik. So, uh, you know, that's a citation, him and the fifth element group that use this term uh, omniline. Uh, so, okay, so you, you got this curiosity, you read, you get this interest in, in science, you're interested in the, the human aspect as well, and you can see that in yeah. your career. And then you end up with the management authority of Singapore at some point, right? So <laughs> talk about that journey and what happened there. <laughs> Oh, entirely coincidental. Um, I, I had my I had a startup at that point. Well, I was part of a startup at that particular time, time, where again we were trying to not trying doing work in terms of AI consultancy. And long story short, ended up uh, pitching work, running a few sessions. Who at the time I didn't realize was to basically the entire senior management. And they're like, "Okay, David, we love it. We want to do it." And I thought, "Like, great. I just got to you know." Uh, a, a consultancy gig for the for the firm. And like, no, 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 no. We, we, we want you to join. So I thought to myself, look, I love, again, I don't see this challenges. I, I love opportunities because it's about how do you make it work? How do you make it successful? And having been on the various sides of, you know, the, the world of AI, so previously in consultancy, I was in software, I was in research. You always have this perspective, especially when you use the word regulator, let alone government, that, yeah, there you go. You're already uh, <laughs> grinning there. In terms of it's it's you know it's slow. It's not going to happen. I was like, no, I'm going to go to. I'm going to join these guys. A because it's a bit of a national duty. It's an it's a it's it's to support the industry, and to see is it really this difficult? Is it really you know that ordain of a task in order to create an internal adoption? of data that's part of a supervisory central banking function because MAS is uh, monetary authority Singapore it's, it's a combined aspect of, of financial services uh, as well as to help the industry and I did that and it was an absolutely delight um both on both manners of really exploring internally how so I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the term and uh, reg tech, regulatory technology. So basically how to go about using technology for regulatory purposes. And we created, this was back in 2017, we created a new term called SUPTEC, supervisory technology. And the kind of the, the, the call to arms was a supervisor needs to leverage the same degree, if not higher in some aspects, of capabilities and technology from predictions, analysis, modeling, behavior, anomaly, etc 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 in order to be more precise and specific in their supervisor function which is ultimately in the end of the day assure stability you know prevent from the bad actors acting badly so that's one dimension and then if i may kind of swinging back to the human element of it is you know there's been this very ongoing discourse which is still ongoing to a certain extent of like oh ai is going to um, um eliminate all these jobs and then on the other hand, you have equally, you know, eminent individuals who are saying it's going to create jobs. And me being a very kind of data-driven person said, look, no, we can't have this. We, we can't have this emotional conversation. 
we must have a data-driven conversations. And we conducted what was then the first of the kind study across the entire financial industry, literally across the entire financial industry, and double-clicked to what is going to be the impact on per job. Per... So we mapped pretty much all the jobs, back, front, middle office, what's going to be the impact of automation and AI. And made it very, very transparent. So yes, there were jobs that would be more impact because the tasks in the jobs could be done in a more automated or impacted by AI. Yet then again, there were certain jobs whereby even if they could, you wouldn't want to because of their, think of it of the learning progression. As a paralegal, you have to be the paralegal before you can become, let's say, a professional aspect in, in your legal field. You, you, you can't give it to a fully to automated because it's to a machine or an AI because you, you, you're disrupting that flow of expertise. But then on the other hand, which would be fascinating is we realize it's creating new capabilities. It's creating new needs in terms of role. But just to finish off the story, then ultimately resulted to, well, how do we promote? How do we advocate it? How do we incorporate the adoption of AI in the financial industry? And ironically, the answer was, while we didn't put, put it as regulation, was regulation. It was governance. So, so when we created this, I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but it's called FEAT, Fairness, Ethics, Accountability, and Transparency. So it was the first um, guiding principles issued by a regulator for the adoption of AI in the industry. Um, and a lot of times people don't realize that while it seems as, as a industry development innovation stance, it was actually um, born out of realization that the industry actually wanted governance, wanted regulation to help them do it properly. You know, that's really, really fascinating. And, and Singapore is quite famous, you know, uh, globally and being really a leader and, and uh, an innovator and um, have the ability and you're, <laughs> you're leading in that uh, ability as well. And, and, and on the governance of AI or the regulatory side or policy side of AI, and, and you were a key part of all of that as the first appointed chief data officer, the head <laughs> of data analytics group, uh, you know, um, and, and just going on and on, all of this sort of a marvelous work uh, that you did. And Singapore being really quite famous globally as, as being an innovator. What made you, and earlier you indicated you had a startup. So maybe let's go back. And, mm, sure. and, you, and you were doing a presentation as a consulting role with startup, and then that ended up with this offer <laughs> um, so how did you get into that startup and what was your, what was sort of your goal with a startup and then we'll progress past this, uh, monetary authority role, uh, role. Sure. No. So, so, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer that, you know, opportunities, uh, manifest, but it's always your kind of call of whether you kind of step into them, take them up. So to answer that question, I have to take one step further back. And, um, I was with, uh, Ernst Young, you know, back in the day uh, in Singapore, kind of helping them build up their data practice across Southeast Asia. Um, and then, now it's very different. They were very much still an audit firm. Um, so what happened and the kind of, what manifested ultimately as a startup is we kind of realized if you really want to do this and we want to do this effectively, it's faster for us to be an external company working in partnership with the audit firm because you know there's so many things that you can and can't do and you have to have so many controls associated so like let's just pull out to certain extent so it was a, uh, um, a couple of us essentially kind of stepped out but then 
working back. So the the idea behind the startup was actually as startup size, how are we able to help um, other institutions, be it partners or the direct clients, accelerate their journey with um, with data, both from a more traditional data management aspect of it, and then of course the downstream application AI dimension of it. So, so actually, that was really the rationale. Was was the drive was we want to do it, we want to do it faster. Yeah. So you're always looking at the optimization part, which is part of AI yeah. right? or quantum computing or whatever you know. So you're looking at the efficiencies and you're thinking you know what, I can be more effective by sort of outside and yet partnering than being on the exactly. Internet, right? Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah, and then you can sort of democratize or spread, uh, you know, all of the good wisdom that you have across across the whole ecosystem and not sort of be siloed into one particular part of the ecosystem. So I can see all of the great rationale behind that. So how did you end up where you are today? And yeah. can you describe <clears throat> your role? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'll start with the roles, um, and then kind of a bit of the the, the journey associated. So I'm I'm so I'm part of the Aboitis group. Uh, Aboitis is a Philippine space conglomerate, uh, or the new term that we've been using over the last uh, actually nearly year and a half, a uh, bit more uh, tech conglomerate, and that's kind of also representative of the aspirations and, and the evolution and innovation of a conglomerate. Uh, so I originally, well, and I still am, joined their financial arm. So this is Union Bank of the Philippines, where I'm the group chief uh, data and AI officer. So as the name kind of tells you, know, it, <laughs> it is what it says on the tin uh, in terms of uh, managing and taking care of the data assets. And again, exploring, creating and identifying the opportunities for applications from revenue, customer engagement, operational efficiencies, financial crimes, and so forth. That's evolved um, within a year or so to a group-wide role. Um, and I established um, um, Aboitis Data Innovation, which initially was a kind of um, a, a company within the group to solve, to serve the companies of the group, which are outside of financial services, are power, uh, generation and distribution. Um, and then there's a very long tail from uh, feeds, livestock, construction, cement, airports, uh, estates, utilities, and and so forth. And the idea there was similarly in terms of your your point earlier about optimization, um, commoditization of capabilities to result in the usage of data AI for. Well, effectively three things, and, and I like to simplify it into these three things. Revenue opportunities, you know, services, operational efficiency, and, you know, optimizing your bottom line or risk management. And that kind of resulted in a, a just exciting, because people always know and hear about the applications in finance, because, you know, it, it, it's... It, it's a it's a bit of it's it's a mature industry and it's kind of there's a lot of immediate and obvious needs again like financial crime cash the bad guys how do you know that this is a suspicious transaction or hyper personalization cross selling upselling and so forth but then you suddenly have this like AI and cement and you know I I, I truly have people kind of sit back and go wait what <laughs> I'm like yeah we we we've applied AI and cement now obviously I'm using it deliberately to be a bit more sensational. But at the end of the day, it's about patterns and it's about the business objective. In that case was, how do I attain the quality controls that I need on cement? Because remember, it's look around you. It's from the buildings, from the roads, from 
sorry, the pavements, from everything that, that, that's around and needed, but in a way that is the most efficient, meaning it's, you know, operationally efficient and saving me time and it's delivering a result to, to my end customers as fast as possible. And, and this is what really kind of uh, got me excited is quantifiably achieving ESG goals and reducing emissions. So that's what it was. But behind the curtain was, say, I. Yeah, so I, I can see then the entrepreneurial side, you know, you're you're working for this uh, consult, uh, consulting firm, but you take outside of, you know, go outside of the consulting firm so you can more easily partner with them. You're not so constrained. And then here, you're really forming the sort of serving the same role across all of the companies and and activities within this conglomerate, right? Because you mentioned the bank, but you mentioned cement, uh, utilities, uh, you talked about food stocks in some way or feedstock, and you talked about power, and and really it's about patterns, right? And then if you can optimize the efficiency on the patterns, you can increase revenue, you can uh, reduce risk, uh, you can uh, uh, um, increase the operational efficiency by those uh, by the optimization aspects. And, and, and I find it really fascinating. You got a PhD in computing science and machine learning from the University of Southampton. You graduated from the Royal Holloway uh, University of London with first class honors in bachelor of science, uh, computer science and artificial intelligence. And that's a really quantitative, mathematically leaning role. And then you end up in, in cement <laughs> and, and foodstuffs or feedstock and, and, and real estate and, yeah. and, and banking and, and uh, power. Um, that's a, and then even earlier, you know, uh, working in this sort of uh, music side, right? You know, the fMRIs and EEGs and sort of amalgamating it and finding these patterns, or and um, and then even with the monetary authority. So it's it's really interesting that you've got a really uh, big transdisciplinary, interdisciplinary part of what you do. So you must believe then that interdisciplinary is really the root Ooh. or what what's your opinion of that I, I, absolutely at 100 percent um and, and and just to share and i i, I kind of sometimes find it difficult even to reconcile this what may be a period like a bit of a dissonance because don't get me wrong i i love the math i mean i, I used to enjoy, thoroughly enjoy the days when i sit down i used to create you know uh, using radamacher complexity to bound my theories and my models and now suddenly, you know, I'm having business conversations and have to um, tone down the math <laughs> to, to a certain extent. But there, it's two elements. One, for us to be truly successful, and I really mean us on, in, a, in a plural and collective sense, for us to be truly successful, we have to realize that things have to work horizontally. Um, not just from the um, um, scientific merit perspective and, and, and finding new means of applications. It's also from a very actual point of view. And, and, and let me just give you one snippet of an example of, let's say, financial inclusion, you know, a topic that we keep on going on to. And, and, and by the way, I prefer to call it financial sustainability because just including you isn't enough. Right. The problem there is not just the usage of AI or the applications is that fundamentally the reason why ultimately there is a quote-unquote excluded demographics or cohort is because they may not have the data that a traditional financial institutions or financial institutions may need to say yes we can move on now if you start looking horizontally 
I would say, well, you know, Stephen, you may not have a bank account. You may not have a credit rating. You may not have a Visa card or whatnot. But you're buying feeds to feed your animals. I can use, you see, I can use that information. You are ingesting power as part of an operation, however sporadic it may, may be. You, the, the, suddenly, these possibilities, this multimodal approach creates new opportunities in order to, in, in addressing very specific underlying problems. So absolutely. And then secondly, while domain is critical, and if there's one thing I've kind of learned over the time is that you have to marry the two. You can't just waltz in and say, you know, I'm a data scientist, you know, the next thing, uh, the next thing, the next best thing since butter and toast bread, we can solve all your problems. No, no, no. It, there's a reason why, you know, domain is there, expertise. It's critical and you have to marry the two. But having said that, Data is data. Patterns is patterns. Whether you're looking in terms of neurological stimuli, whether you're looking at a uh, literally a bakery making bread or a bakery making cement, whether it's a power industry, whether it is set, it's a pattern. And the fundamentals are the same. So why not leverage on it? Or re-leverage and cross-leverage, essentially. Yeah, and, and then I'm sort of reflecting, you know, you, you mentioned uh, financial inclusion, but it's really financial uh, sustainability is a better term. And then that would apply to like healthcare and rather than Absolutely. healthcare inclusion, really healthcare sustainability is a, a better term. Absolutely. I, I like that I, uh, idea, sustainability. So I can borrow that in my- No, please, life. please. <laughs> Absolutely. I, and, and just on the healthcare one, because, you know, my dad was a medical doctor. We always used to kind of uh, jest that who's the real doctor, <laughs> which, of course, was me. I mean, but never kidding. <laughs> um, is if you think about the law, and again, not to anyone's fault. It's just the reality of us, people, how we operate, et cetera. Healthcare isn't healthcare. It's sick care. You go for a profession to, 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 to get, you know, treatment when there is already a symptom, when there's already an issue. One of the things that, and sustainability is really pushing it backwards to healthcare. Right. So that now you have this kind of very uh, 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 significant drop in terms of the actual instances of sick and sick care that are needed, essentially. So fully, fully that. It's about sustainability. And whenever we go when you know, in panels or conversations and we talk about, let's say, ESG, I, I keep on reminding that dimension. That, in fact, beyond emissions, which is critical, beyond um, um uh, whether you know it's a uh, scope one two three that it's also about how we think and how we're operating it's about how do we assure there's a sustainable longevity of something and you're and you're working on the sustainability aspect in your region as well and 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 that is um um equity, you know, and diversity, equity, sustainability, right? And inclusion, sustainability. And in, in other words, uh, uh, you have people who have maybe not the same kind of connectivity access or uh, access to the usage of AI. And you're trying to, you know, uh, make that readily access accessible, right? So skills development, I know that you're Absolutely. in. So can you talk about that journey mm. of skills development, how you how you're trying to really broaden the umbrella for people who can get in, engaged in 
um, technology and in skills development, and it ties into AI for good. So talk about that oh, big it, vision, right? So. Uh, so at the risk of, you know, sounding a bit marketing oriented, but I, I, I do genuinely believe in this, is I don't refer to AI as artificial intelligence. I, I really don't. To me, it's augmented intelligence. And the reason I say that is I'm a firm believer that albeit what may be seen in uh, certain scenarios of, you know, the automatons and whatnot, is that this whole world is centered on us, humans, beings, and it is for us. Now, that means two things which are absolutely critical. And, and going back to this, this, this dimension of, 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 of training and engagement. One, of course, is about the prolification of, of capabilities and, and know-how to, to be part of this new ecosystem from you know, data management work, which is critical. In fact, if you think about the world of AI, it's created a whole booming field of data annotation. Now, with LLMs, we also have a booming field of validation. Um, further from that is obviously the coding, et cetera, and so forth. So that's a very important one. And I am an staunch believer and advocate of you know the whole train proliferated as share the wealth as much as possible so as part of that we have been continuously working be it be it a full-blown fledged you know with the clients be it with our teams in philippines specifically we partnered with an organization called connected women um and as the name kind of foretells uh, their um, um purpose is to address uh, this kind of almost a bit of an exodus that happens in the Philippines where they will, uh, will usually kind of go around neighboring countries and so forth to, to, to work. So how to help mothers, um, uh, women stay in the Philippines and have access to, uh, you know, decent work fair and learnings so we partnered with them and in fact exactly that so both in terms of providing access to the opportunities from like i said from annotations from coding from validations and we train them up so that they eventually can explore a career even all the way down to being a data scientist uh and right now they're about they're about a network of uh, and i might be wrong because they, they keep on growing about five to six thousand so thousand people and several projects that we've already deployed including one we just recently and 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 my folks in power particularly uh uh, uh please because you know utilities don't usually work in like digital and ai innovation awards um this was on grid management <clears throat> it was was done in collaboration with these 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 this, this organization these women and furthermore it's how to make sure it's not just the technical skills it's not just the coders it's you and me it's it's everyone it's a usage. One doesn't suddenly have to become a data scientist. In fact, we don't need <laughs> everyone to become a data scientist. Um, but we need everyone to understand, well, if I come to you with information, with knowledge, how do you embed it into your existing business process? How do you embed it into your operation? Like what I mentioned about the ATMs. If I come to you and I say, well, here is an ability to predict cash outs across the island, and this is the probability, da, 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 da. how do you use it? How do you now take it into actually how do you deploy that's another skill set that's becomes critically important to softly but also kind of drive so we do both and i'm a believer that this would as the case in point with connected women and others it's not just not uh it's not it's not only elim not eliminating jobs sorry 
it's creating jobs. And, and this is why I, 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 you know, vehemently say, isn't a, it isn't AI that will take away a job. It is another person with the skill sets or uh, appreciation and awareness of AI that may take the job away from someone who doesn't have those. That's And that's why we need to drive and make sure that everyone at least has the opportunity to get on the bus if they so choose so. And you've been able to create an event, right? Some kind of national mm. event. So can you talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So Philippines is 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 kind of really at this cusp of, of this digital revolution. I mean, it's a very young population, average age twenty three. I, mean, I think if I'm, my math is not wrong, it's about one hundred twenty million people just over there. And you're really seeing this need to drive because it's also it's an archipelago. I think, was it 7,000 islands? So there is a genuine need from a digitalization perspective, inclusion, sustainability, et cetera, and so forth. So we've uh, conducted an event uh, this year in May called AI Summit, where we really wanted to bring a wide range of, of participants from your executives all the way to budding enthusiasts to really open up the box. And it's not just a, a, a deep tech mathematical type of event, but it's one that kind of bridges the gaps between those different areas. Again, multimodal. I think it's a reoccurring theme. And you've you've kind of get, you've resulted in me having a bit of a self-realization here. Um, but more importantly is, because a lot of times when you may go events, it's either super technical or it's super high level. And people walk away with that feeling of, but, but how? How do we do it? How do we incorporate? How do we trade? That's exactly what's the objective. So we did that and it was, it was, I mean, I don't say it myself, but it was really growing success whereby people, organizations came and we were happy to share those steps, both from Philippines as well as from outside, providing appreciation in terms of those applications in the areas of, you know, financial services, smart cities, or urban environments. Um, and of course, we had a section which kind of touched on the more governance, people, education centric side of the house. Um, and it was this kind of eye-opening of, wow, this is real. And, and, and wow, this can genuinely create that impact that we're pursuing. Um, so we're going to have a second run uh, next year, same time May, um, even bigger, even better. And again, the objective there is not just to have a bit of fun, because it's always important to have a bit of fun, but it's to creating that opportunity to establish, well, as an organization, what are the next steps? What are the things that I should be doing? What are the things that I should potentially be avoiding? And of course, creating an opportunity and a platform for partnerships. Because horizontally, multimodal, the, the way for us to truly succeed and accelerate is by finding these opportunities to either learn from one another or work with one another. I mean, are there plans to kind of share your lessons internationally? I mean, um, what's sort of the international participation of this uh, regional event? Yeah. So the first one, it was very much uh, local from that perspective. Uh, the, the coming one is we um, are looking forward to inviting international participants as well uh, for two reasons. Uh, one is because, again, it's a learning opportunity for those locals and it's an opportunities for those internationals to see how they can uh, incorporate and support. And with that, if if I may, I actually think it's an opportunity for the international arena to you know, shed their gaze on this part of the world and realize actually there's something that we could learn as well. 
Um, and the reason for that is there are these scenarios, like for example, what I mentioned about cement. When you when you're in an organ when you're in when you're in a, a, a an area or a place geographically which relatively is advanced, even when there's an opportunity to become further advanced or more improved or incorporation, there's always that resistance because but because we already are doing some stuff. Like, so what's that delta? Is it really worthwhile? Is it efficient? But when that delta is fairly significant, the um, resistance to the adoption of technology is actually lower because it's 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 a win-win or what was the term you use omni-win effectively um and what you're finding is that the rate of adoption is accelerated exactly what happened with china exactly if you think about if, if you go you know to kenya and mpesa and all this is it's 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 a it's it's an immediate because there's an immediate need and that to me is, an, is a genuine opportunity for uh countries individual people think tanks to come in and say okay the stuff that we're maybe still talking about, like even aspects of, let's say, uh, AI and ethics. And I'll give you an example of that. Of what does it mean on the ground when they're applying it, when they're they're implementing it? What are some of the challenges they're facing, or what are some of the uh, benefits that we may have not realized because you don't realize it until you actually execute? And to give you a concrete example, is of course there's an ongoing discourse and with respect to the impact. Uh, of AI with respect to and specifically uh, gender gender discrimination, um, and then henceforth the usage of that type of sensitive attributes. So, because w we want to know and we're keen to understand the implications, and things are already happening on the ground, we actually did a study, more than a study, actually, an AI application uh, for lending, where we specifically analyze. Um, gender information and its downstream impact in potential discrimination. And what we found was it was that incorporating gender information not only didn't result in discrimination, it reduced the likelihood of discrimination while concurrently increasing profitability. And that was particularly powerful because there was always, and you know, I've been in many conversations about this around the world, the view of like, oh no, but but you know, if we suddenly have to put all these governance and controls and all that, uh, you're going to uh, um, um, impact profitability. And we were able to concretely show us, no, you're actually going to be more profitable. Now, again, it was a very specific context in lending. Um, we actually were very thankful we got recognized by by, by um, uh, UNESCO AI initiative as, uh, as one of the uh, AI uh, projects impacting and contributing towards the um, the, the UN goals, but that's an example. And again, that's a, that's from a governance, policy, social aspect, all the way to an application point of view. Like, how do you apply uh, AI for grid management in a um, uh, very complex environment archipelago where you're also subjected to to different terrains and different elements of you know such as typhoon and floods and whatnot. Something that works there, I can guarantee you will also work in, you know, the Midwest or, you know, Canada, et cetera, and so forth. So there's a genuine opportunity of a bilateral learning. And you talked earlier about partnerships. So you're partnering with uh, different machine learning institutes around the world. I, th I think there's one in Canada that you're. Yes, yes, yes. We're uh, this one I am very proud of. Uh, again, I, I might be wrong. This, this, this may have updated, but last I've checked, we're one of the two only partners in Asia. Uh, the other partner with Mila uh, Institute, so Yosho Ventures um, uh, Research Institute, is Samsung, and we're the only ASEAN 
uh, partner. And again, the, the, the one of the reasons behind that is because of our focus with respect to um, um, sustainability uh, and how we can use AI for the objective operational efficiency while attaining um, sustainability goals. Uh, so it, 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 there's a really a coming um, uh, a coming together with respect to agenda and objectives. And again, something that we need because we need to drive energy efficiency. And the reality is right now, if you switch off the quote unquote dirty energy in the Philippines, it will go dark. So there's almost like a no choice scenario. But by driving operational efficiency, energy efficiency, using uh, such capabilities from AI, we are also reducing those potential uh, harms to the planet while concurrently looking at the alternative green energy. So it's creating a kind of more um, um, explicit, in a way, um, plan from an energy management perspective. So, so that's kind of where I'm personally hoping that there could be a a a again a learning that can also go potentially to Canada and 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 others exported to other countries' perspective. But yeah, I'm I'm very happy, and we're working with actually Queens. Uh, Queen's University, also in Canada, and then ETH Zurich. So we have to learn. We have to to um, find these opportunities where we are able to incorporate and work with experts in the field and find these areas whereby we can apply it um, uh, for demonstrable outcomes and and that's the key thing and, and and if i may just to swing all the way back to my academic life and and that's kind of was a bit of the uh, to me a coming of age and kind of started my journey outwards was while i do love the the theory the math the 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 kind of the possibilities in there the thing that kind of started gnawing at me was yeah, you know, these papers and, you know, thesis and all this stuff, you know, it's making my mother immensely proud. But I don't want to just see it on the shelf. I, I don't just want to see it as a piece of paper on my desk. I, I, I want to see that piece of paper, don't get me wrong. But I want it to impact someone. I want it to be used in the ground. I want this to be a matter that it, and everyone is knowledgeable of how they can incorporate it in its application. You know, you mentioned earlier uh, UNESCO, and uh, and I'm wondering if you're referring to the International Research Center on AI, and they they actually looked at all of these projects around the world, and it wasn't yeah. just startups; it was government, it was big corporations, it was uh, other UN agencies, NGOs, and they selected the top 100 in the world. Are you talking about that project? I I am indeed talking about that project. So uh, very very flattered, or you know being these folks out of Philippines and and being recognized and and again to me beyond that it's it's the learning in helping that conversation that is ongoing globally well that's that's the pretty big accomplishment top 100 across governments and industry and academia it, it, it's typically these rankings are just startups so this is everything <laughs> right so uh, and that's a, a remarkable accomplishment and as you indicated you know, people should come to your conference because they can learn from from wor working with you and learn from collaborating and partnering with you. Let's now move the conversation because because you're so embedded in AI and the application of AI, but across many domains and it's very interdisciplinary and and a very sort of thoughtful kind of uh, sustainability aspect to it. 
What are your thoughts about generative AI and what's happening with the mm-hmm. large language models and and uh, what are your predictions about it? So thoughts wise, and, and I got actually asked this not too long ago, you know, when, when things got really, uh, there was a lot of attention on the topic. It's kind of twofold. One is I'm super excited. Obviously, it's as, as a profession, uh, as as a person who has made this as my profession. Now the the amount of asks requests has kind of <laughs> jumped quite significantly. From a scientific point of view, it's like, yeah, we we've told you it's, it's this is this is yeah <laughs> dot 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 kind of scenario. But it's okay. You put that scientific uh, pride aside to a certain degree. But it's truly exciting. I mean, jokes aside, because. The most difficult, um, in my in my personal point of view, the most difficult dimension of knowledge management had been the management of knowledge, and, and, and let me double click on that. You know, whether it's an email email folders and you have to keep on filing them, whether it is you know these knowledge management solutions that are out there, it, it, they've all failed in one form or another. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. Why? It's because it's like, oh, I need to find a piece of information. Damn it! Where did I put it? <laughs> it's 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 even a library. It's like you need to you need to have the librarians to tell you, oh sir or madam or whomever. It's in this shelf in this column. You need you're looking for that book. Generative AI, and again, I'm, I'm specifically focusing on the knowledge management aspect. So less about let's say the the the, the music, the the art, and all that, which is astronomical as well. But let's just focus on that piece. It's, we've now created the librarian that can sit on top of anything and anything and literally tell you this is what you're looking for this is what you're interesting this is the information now that's capability that competency of having this conversational layer on top of knowledge management i i honestly don't think we have fully appreciated the impact that this is this is going to have i i I think this is one of those singularity moments as as a society because we exponentially grow each time our ability to access information grows from library from look what happened in terms of internet in terms of search it's what i can do the productivity the 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 ability to think uh differently to explore experiment we're 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 now only we're only just figuring it out now obviously this also opened up a whole doorway of of challenges but again i think to me this is part of of evolution at a lack of a better word where Scientists always wanted this quote unquote holy grail of AI, which you know it's an oracle that can answer anything and everything and all that. And scientists will always kind of pursue that. But what we always realize is as we get more and more applicationary, is oh, yeah, maybe not. And what actually now you're finding is that you you're essentially saying, well, we want the capability, we want the proneness, we want the application of LLM and generative AIs, but let's limit the domain and why we want to limit the domain is because well we don't want it to well as humans sometimes you know jack of all trade master of none come up with nonsense (laughs) and just you know stitch things together in a way that sounds coherent and and, and it's just as a funny side story i was having a chat with a bunch of uh, lawyer friends of mine and i think this was on the back of one an application in the U.S., that you could actually, uh, uh, it'll create the whole appeal for you on 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 ticket fines or whatnot. And you know, my my friend was like really old, you know, old old kind of rattle because he's like it's threatening his profession. He says, oh, you know, this is all nonsense. It didn't pass the bar, and I'm like, it probably could pass the bar better than you. What the hell are you talking about? 
<laughs> it's like, oh no, but you know, it's just putting information in a way that sounds reasonable. And I was like, but that's what lawyers do. <laughs> um, so again, just jokes aside, but it, we kind of realized that, okay, we need to start putting these slight restraints on, on to make it more domain specific. So even while there still may be a risk of making a presumption, it won't go too lateral because it won't suddenly combine when you ask a question about, you know, I don't know, uh, what's the best fan to buy? And it suddenly throws in about bread making or whatnot. Again, again I'm, I'm really going kind of here uh, sideways. But you see my point. So I think that's where we are now. We're now realizing that, okay, great, amazing, awesome, really broad. Let's now slim it down to very, very specific applications. And then finally, which is a bit of an obvious, but then again, everything in hindsight is obvious, is validation. Just as you may tell me something, and I may come to you as an as as you as being an expert and saying, oh, can you give me your view or perspective on this? And saying, I may take it full wholesale, or I may go, okay, I love it. It's great. It's helpful. I'm I'm gonna just validate. What would it go? Uh, Reagan tell Gorbachev, trust but va uh, but verify. Um, we definitely have to do it when we're dealing with a new competency. You know, a new expert effectively is. We need to have that validation. That's it. <laughs> so, I mean, um, there are so many different uh, avenues, you know, like uh, from what I understand, Bloomberg has built their own models, right? Or uh, you can go to the one, the open source, Llama 2, or mm -hmm. open source, or you can go to Orca, um, or, or some of these other uh, open source um models that are out there you can you can go to aws or microsoft yeah. google uh anthropic it just got a four billion investment from what i understand from from amazon and so what do you do or maybe you can't say because it's like trade secret within your company but are, are you using something like uh microsoft and copilot and and, and and azure and because they have so many tools out there and you can you can do some additional fine tuning, or you're building models from scratch and sort of ingesting yeah. data the way you know and doing all of that. I mean, where are you on the spectrum of yeah. <laughs> employ and use all of this tech that's out there now? And everybody wants to try it, but you don't want it to hallucinate. You want it to like be absolutely absolutely. Right? So, it, what, what's it, your recommendation? <laughs> so. And perhaps this is a silly analogy, but if you think about transportation, you know, you can use a tractor, you can use a Honda, you can use a Ferrari, hell, you can use a chopper, you could have, they're all transportation, but it's using the right mode of transportation for the right underlying objective. That is exactly our philosophy. And, and, and on a broader sense, I call it BBB, build by borrow. The only reason we'll build something from scratch if we truly believe this needs to be done and, and it doesn't exist. Otherwise, if the wheel's invented, it's like, just <laughs> use the wheel. Yeah. But then again, there's various forms. For example, actually, we, we, we've experimented with uh, Brad because um, we're obviously leveraging on Copilot because it's kind of, it's it's just popping up as part of MS, uh, MS's suite. You know, we're, we're, we're tapping on uh, obviously via um, MS to open his eyes available um, APIs. We have, you know, leveraging on Llama because we have our own in private environment because again, governance, we want to make sure that certain things, no one else but us can see it or even have the risk. So it's about a fit for purpose. In the end of the day, 
they all will get you there. But some are maybe better than others. Now, of course, that opens up this difficulty, but but then there's so many, which is the right one. But actually, if you go back, and I, there was this actually excellent uh, diagram, though. Actually, it might have been even Microsoft that did it, which listed all the different types of machine learning algorithms. There's a lot. <laughs> um, now, which one do you use? Now, technically speaking, you can use them all. And there's been papers about it that would compare the accuracy and performance. Well, we've got to such a stage that the difference is a Yota's. But what you're seeing is you can start ring fencing in terms of different segments of applications. For these types of applications, these this type of you know gradient descent, gradient-based methodologies are better. This one's classification-based methodologies are better. This one is we're not there yet for LLMs. But I'm fairly confident you will find that because just like with Bloomberg, I mean, they've what they've done is they've created a, which is kind of funny because you think about it, it's a, it's a, you know, a generative general learning model that's specific <laughs> for finance. <laughs> so if you're looking at the type of data that Bloomberg has trained on, why redo it? Just, just use that one. I mean, see, even, even to me, the, 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 the Microsoft, the Google's Amazon is like same out to them. It's like, you don't have that data of Bloomberg. Well, to me, it makes more sense. Come together and have an API that pulls out information from Bloomberg and vice versa. We're we'll, it's we're still it's still too early. We'll get there. Us, that's how we're experimenting. We're looking in terms from a governance implications point of view, um, already pre-existing availability, like it's already pre-trained, it's already available. Just you know, what's the saying? Bob's your uncle. Um, or something that we it's it's we really feel as you know, fresh <laughs> and no one's uh, been successful in those tried it out. But I get to be quite honest with the amount of money that's kind of being invested globally, that's becoming less and less and less. It's kind of really more of uh, uh, the integration of a generative AI in ultimately the form of chat through applications of your phone, heck, TV, uh uh, uh, Slack, for example, as part of productivity, is not. This is kind of what we're seeing. And again, it's about a conversational layer for knowledge management. And then we have like Gemini coming out, and you know, GPT five patents have been filed, and there's there's sort of these uh, multimodal models um, integration uh, sort of iterations that have happened. Dolly three. Being integrated now, this ability to call up agents or plugins, and um, all of this sort of evolving very, very quickly. And then this idea of AGI, you know, something that's uh, very, very capable, perhaps even more than humans, even though it's not human. Uh, Jeffrey Hinton has uh, come out quite a bit earlier this mm. year. What are your feelings about all of that? Um. This is, this is what I mentioned. It, bless you. This is what I mentioned. That it kind of starts veering on the societal question and potential implication. Now, the challenge is with a scientific hat on, you're always pursuing the unknown. Sometimes even at risk. I mean, heck, the first use of penicillin, et cetera, surgery. I mean, we've done crazy stuff. Um, but that's where there needs to be a societal conversation. And what I always like to argue is just because you can doesn't mean you should. Um, and in fact, what I was about to kind of chime in earlier about generative AI is that I actually think we need to see a certain degree of convergence. 
and just because you can doesn't mean you should, is we haven't spoken about the ESG aspect of things. These are very, very hungry beasts. So while, and again, it's a balance because maybe it's it will progress innovation and capability, but on the other hand, you know, do we need it right now? Um, is there a manner that could be more efficient in terms of um, um, energy? Is a manner of actually combining forces and rather five of us doing it, we only need two, three. I, so again, it, it's it's a genuine societal conversation that to me can only happen with, I, I call it fremenies, <laughs> the different participants coming together around a table and just saying beyond our own um, selfish objectives and let's call a spade a spade and end of the day, just like OpenAI went from uh, an organization for the, in a way, betterment to making money. And I had nothing wrong with that. But again, I just want to call a spade a spade. There's ultimately a, a, a dollar sign in the end of the road is saying, okay, we need to start balancing that with a broader impact, which is the conversations we've been having now a lot more vehemently about energy. We need to have that same conversation on applications, which we know are energy um, impactful or societal or societally, I don't know what's the right term, but they're impactful essentially. That's kind of how I look at it. So I, I, it's it's very difficult to weigh one way or the other, especially and having you know been in the US, Europe, Middle East, living now in Asia, different societies see things slightly, slightly, sometimes even very differently. It's not a matter of right or wrong. They just see it differently. So you may actually find that, let's say, certain progression, such as the ADI, will not be accepted. Again, hypothetically speaking, would not be accepted in Europe, but will be embraced in Asia. I, yeah, it, we have to have these conversations because it's early on. And, and, and by the way, if I go all the way back to fee principles, if you kind of read it now, it was kind of kind of half disheartening when my my managing director, my governor, read it, and they said, "Damn it, this is kind of common sense. It's obvious." I was like, "Oh yeah, it took us six months to put it as on paper." It's really key questions and criteria in terms of actually, you can boil it down to one principle or two actually: justification and transparency. Why are you doing it? Can you justify it for yourself? And are you transparent about it? And I, I'm a I'm I'm, I'm an advocate believer that these two are the things that will help us to answer some of these underlying questions collectively. But these questions are coming up so quickly. So uh, yeah, we're no. unusual time in the history of humanity, right? It, it, you, you have quantum computing, yeah. all these different sort of variations of quantum computing, and they're working on narrow problems right now, but there's this idea of, of broader problems. And, and what if P equals MP? You know where where MP is no longer an issue because you have all of these sort of transformational capabilities like um, the further uh, the further iteration of the large foundation models and being able to solve really what was considered problems that couldn't be solved like protein folding used to be considered something that would take you know um, years. Uh, in fact, I think when ESM Fold came out with their model. And they could apply it, and they did what something like six hundred million proteins predicted from. Yeah, since if you were to calculate what that would take using existing techniques that without using AI, um, and at that time the maximum number of proteins they could predict was maybe two million, and then using classical techniques maybe a couple hundred thousand, and then you know they come up with six hundred million. I mean that probably would have taken 
a hundred thousand years if, if and then it just popped up right and Absolutely. what else is going to pop up and then you have quantum computing and oh that's going to completely change the game completely yeah so what is that and that's going to be in the near term or biotech and david sinclair and the work at harvard altos labs and aging and all of this convergence and it's not a hundred years from now or 50 years it's in the next few years well uh, what is that so so <laughs> to us yeah so so three things and and you know i i take that point very close to heart in terms of the the speed in which things are happening and this is kind of always been my my critique to regulatory bodies in terms of the fact that you're just not you're just not fast enough again it's just recalling out the, the reality of the situation but but just going back the three points that i was about to mention the first one is level of materiality. While I know there's been the the, the 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 joint signed letter to you know stop AI, that's never going to happen. Humans will never stop innovating. Yeah. Period. Having said that, is we need to look at the level of materiality, and we need to look at the aspect of okay, if something goes wrong, what's going to be the impact to us? So, and that will basically tell you of you know this area, you know what go nuts because even if something goes wrong it's going to be an annoyance at best whereas let's say if we're talking about uh the administration of medic medication yeah i would i would probably hold off having an agi or even an ai in the actual administration of medicine because if that goes wrong you're looking at death so that kind of gives us a degree of understanding of call it in a very simplistic manner, human in the loop or over the loop. And some may complain, it's like, no, no, we can't. Again, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And that's a very rudimentary mechanism to do that. And I would say that should be enforceable. That's number one. Number two is, well, other than the fact that regulators have to speed up, is just like with medicine, you know, once upon a time, you wanted to do an experiment, you want to try something out, you literally grab, grab the whole bunch of people, <laughs> jab them or subjected them to some whatnot and see what happened. Well, we now have to go through ethics boards. We need to get approvals. We need to get confirmations. We need to get consent. We're kind of coming to that maturity whereby ethics, sorry, AI may require for experiments, ethic approval, ethics approval by an ethics committee. It's like, you want to do it? Sure. You need to get approval. And this is a universal, universal requirement, just like with medicine. It's a universal requirement from an experimental point of view. Um, obviously, that is slightly a bit more long drawn because of kind of a bit more political, a bit more aspect. But again, just being very transparent. I mean, that's the answer. It's that's actually the beautiful thing. Sometimes for the most complicated things, the answer is really simple. It's just the doing it is sometimes more complex. That's the balance because there may be some things that may be. I don't want to use the word questionable, but impactful but again by having it reviewed just as paper review it because okay you are not permitted to do this and if you do it you're basically breaking a whole bunch of uh well not just laws requirements the other one maybe you are permitted but subject to certain requirements and controls or always good chug along kind of scenario we don't have that right now we need that. And it's then on a different dimension. And it's something that I've actually, I've been advocating since 2017 is at the lack of a better description, we need a data regulator. 
why I say we need a data regulator, and this is not a privacy regulator. Privacy is looking in terms from a personal perspective, PII, am I being impacted, consent, etc. No, data. Because data is an industry. And just like we have transportation regulator, we have financial regulator, we have medical regulation, data is an industry. And as such, it needs to be regulated. And what's a regulation is trust but verify. I, I always get a bit weird when someone says to me, don't worry, I, I trust me. I'll t- I trust you, but I want to verify. And also it's because you don't know everything. Um, when I did, you know, research again, back early 2000s, you know, questions that today are common sense, like when you submit papers to NeuroIPS and, you know, ICML and all that, there will be actually ethical questions in terms of how you've handled the data, discrimination, whatnot. So when I did that, it wasn't there. It didn't exist. Not because we were evil people. It's, it just wasn't there. We, it, it hasn't come to our collective understanding as a, as a, as a, as a scientific in, area. That's the element of maturity that I'm talking to. It is now. We have now come to that next level realizing we need these controls, both scientifically as well as in industry-wise. My personal opinion. But your personal opinion has weight because you're a leader of one of the biggest conglomerate <laughs> uh, groups in the region and you're doing things that are global in many respects. And, and um uh, you know, you're you're definitely having an impact and, across so many different communities. And Stephen, if, if if I may, not to interject, is at least for me, um, walking the talk. And what I mean by walking the talk, a lot of organizations will be like, "Yeah, yeah, we need to, we need regulations, we need regulations." And then you ask them, "So what are you doing?" And they're like, "Oh, we're waiting for the regulation." It's like, well, why? We are regulating ourselves now. Again, we full. Full transparency, we might be missing stuff. We might not be doing it fully right, but you know something that's better than nothing. Every AI solution that we're looking at, we kind of review it internally. We have a council that will look in terms of not just from a technological point of view, but from a societal implication. Should we be doing this? We validate everything. We put controls. We look at it. Again, I'm fairly certain we're missing something, but I am a strong, just as I mentioned it, you know, one has to sip their own champagne in terms of assuring that at least if something does go wrong, and let's be honest, at some point, something will go wrong. It's it's just the reality of nature. Again, obviously, you want to mitigate the, the, the extent in which it does. At the very least, you can say, I have put every control in place to mitigate that. I have learned we will improve on them so that these will never happen again. Versus, uh, oops, we didn't realize yeah, and, and I guess, you know, being thoughtful and anticipating as much as you can and try to do risk mitigation as you indicate and still innovate as well. You, you want to continue the innovation. Of course, of course. And, and and that's a, again, I'm sorry, just, just, just if I may. So one of the first questions I used to get asked a lot when I was with MAS um, is, oh, but David, isn't all this regulation and governance going to prevent innovation? I'm like, I'm I'm sorry. I, I simply cannot accept that statement. Yeah. Governance and regulation is a mechanism of guidance by no means as regulation saying you're not allowed to do it unless it's a genuine impact on people or breaking the law or something like that on the contrary it's saying innovate but innovate with control innovate without causing harm innovate with 
with with an appreciation of what's surrounding you. So I always say that good governance, and, and, and I want that to sink for a little, good governance, good regulation breeds, sorry, a good regulation breeds innovation. It's absolutely critical. But in the end of the day, if we all just sit back and say, oh, you know, we need regulation, we need policies, we need controls, but we're all waiting on the regulators or whomever to do it, I'm sorry, we're, 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 no, we're, we're, we're missing it. We need to do it. And let alone those who are saying, oh, we need regulation. And then when the regulator turns around and says, oh, so we're going to regulate. And then say like, oh, so we're not going to operate in your country. You know, the value, the impact, the, the beneficial um, results of all this stuff. Also, I believe, despite the, the risks of things like AGI, is astronomical. Like I said, it it is it is a means in my my view of bettering ourselves, as long as we put the human as part of that journey and in the center of that journey. But we must approach things with the prudence and the fiduciary responsibility, not only to ourselves but to those around us, in doing it in the right way, whether explicitly required or not. So, you know, David, you you definitely are the embodiment of, you know, purposeful leadership, purposeful innovation, purposeful capital, purposeful business, purposeful impact, purposeful sustainability. I mean, across, you know, I can see the 17 um, sustainable development goals, the 169 targets and the 230 <laughs> measures of the 17 sustainable development goals, and then in the environmental, social governance, but sustainability aspects of all of it. So we're very thoughtful in everything that you do. It's, it's, you're just, I just find it so fascinating to be encompassed in, Thank you. in you. And and this is now your opportunity to give one sort of lasting word of mm. advice. And that's the last question. What, what's, your, what's your recommendations to the audience? Well, my recommendation to the audience is really twofold, if, if a slightly longer sentence is, we can't just sit and watch. We have to actively participate. So that means embracing data, embracing AI. And as I said earlier, you don't need the law to do the right thing. So that's great, uh, more than food for thought. And it's it's something that people can uh, live to as well. So uh, David, uh, really, thank you for coming in and sharing so many of your insights uh, with our audience. It's just a marvelous conversation today. So thank, thank, you. thank you very much. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.